let's open our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to continue today as uh, uh, Paul is writing to Pastor Timothy, the pastor of the church in Ephesus. Verse 18, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them you may fight the battle well, holding on to the faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. We're going to cover the first part of this passage today. So far, just in the first 17 verses of this book that we've been in uh, the last couple of months here, we've seen a number of things. We have discussed discipleship and the importance of being a disciple, the importance of discipling. We have seen the characteristics of a disciple. We have looked at what the true gospel of Christ is, and we know that we are saved by grace and grace alone. Uh, We are all sinful by nature. We are far from God's perfection, his perfect mark, but God, who is rich in mercy, gave his one and only son so that who would ever believe in him, who would put their confident trust in him, would not perish, but would have eternal Life And God did not send his son into this world to condemn the world. We already stand condemned by our own actions, but God sent Jesus, his one and only son, into the world to save the world. Praise God. Um, We looked at the purpose of the law. Jay Baker took that one. I give him the boring stuff. I lined up my vacations to God's word. Oh, I don't want to preach this. I'll give it to Jay. We, we see the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law is to point out our need for Christ. We all miss the mark. Unless you think you are good on these, there's also those. And, and that's super important for us. Last week we saw grace and mercy and how God freely gives an abundance, however much grace and mercy Each one of us needs, it is available to us when we put our confident trust in him for salvation. And there's no one who's out of reach of God's grace and mercy. Today we shift to something different. Notice in verse 18, we have this statement with a different tone. He says to Timothy, fight the battle well. Fight the battle well. Did you realize that as a believer... You are in a battle. You are. And this battle goes all the way back to before the earth was spoken into existence. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of context here today, uh, some history. And I want to belabor this, but uh, I do believe it's critical for us to understand where this battle is entrenched We're going to first go to a couple of Old Testament prophetic books to give some history. Ezekiel chapter 28 describes Satan as he was created 
and how he fell. Verse 12 says, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. Essentially saying, all of this beauty, all of these precious stones, these precious metals were created for you. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, a, a cherub of cherubs, an angel of angels you were ordained. You were the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence. You sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the Mount of God, and I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. There's not a whole lot of context there. Don't, don't need much more. It's pride in his own self. Isaiah chapter four, uh, 14, pardon me, gives us some additional insight into the fall of Satan, how you have fallen from heaven, morning star. The King James Version actually names him Lucifer, son of dawn. You have been cast down to earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I mean, this is a heart thing. It's a heart problem. We all face it. And, and then these next few verses, you see it. I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly in the utmost heights. I will ascend to the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. It's the ultimate pride that led to his downfall. Now, it is understood that Satan was not alone in his exile <clears throat> or his rebellion. Re Revelation chapter 12 speaks to that. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael, the archangel, and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough. They lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. The ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole earth, the whole world astray, was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So what are they doing on the earth? Well, this is what Paul is referring to, I believe, in Ephesians chapter 2, when he says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit who is now at work in all those who are disobedient. You see, we live in this world. Although God is in full control, he has delegated authority over rulership over this broken world to, or he has allowed, might be a better way to say that, to 
our enemy, the devil. We see him working immediately when humanity comes on the scene in Genesis chapter 3. The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God made. He said to the woman, this is just this, this little trick. Did God really say? You see, he wants to put doubt. And then his pride comes forth when he says, you know, God doesn't want you to do that because he knows when you do it, you'll be like him. And he's jealous and he's petty. He doesn't want you to be on his level. And he puts that, that seed of doubt in our minds. In Job chapter 1, we see him coming again. Here we see him telling what he does. Verse 6, one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came too. And the Lord said, where have you come from? Satan says, oh, I'm just roaming around the earth, just going back and forth. Doing what? 1 Peter chapter 5 says he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So all over the Bible, from the beginning to the end and all in between, he's on the scene. Now we know the end of the story, praise God. There's an end. But he's, he's roaming around all the time looking for someone to devour. Then when Jesus comes on the scene, there's a, a totally different kind of activity that is described throughout Jesus' ministry. Right, off, right out of the gates after his baptism, Luke chapter 4, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and he was led by the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. And, and to prove, you may remember, one of the three temptations was power. And the devil took him up on a mountainside and showed him all the kingdoms and says, if you'll just bow down to me, I will give you all these because they are his to give. All around him do we see demonic activity. Mark chapter 1, right, I mean, coming right out of the gates, we have a demoniac, a man in the synagogue, in the church. You see, the devil masquerades as an angel of light. He's all around us all the time. And just being in the four walls under the roof of the church does not mean he's not present looking for opportunities. This man in the synagogue was possessed by an impure spirit. It's very interesting what they say. Look at it. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. You see, they knew who Jesus was. And Jesus says with authority, shut up and get out. And just so you know, you have that authority. All authority has been given unto me, Jesus says. It is implied then that I give it to you. You take authority over these things. Throughout Jesus' ministry, there are ongoing references of him delivering people from demon possession. It's different from any other time in the Bible, these four books. 
And, and um, the only time we see something similar that I'm aware of in the Old Testament is in 1 Samuel chapter 16. It's talking about King Saul. It says, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Now, um, just kind of unpack this a little bit. Evil spirits do not come from God uh, unless you, you take it literally, they were created by God. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll present it in this way. Um, Jesus said himself that you can only serve one of only two options as master. You can't serve both. There's two teams. You're either on God's team or you're not, which by default means you're on the other side. And um, this, by the way, is not a politically correct sermon. I know that's why you come here. But I don't take a paycheck and you can't fire me. <laughs> so work out your salvation by yourselves. <laughs> So if the spirit of the Lord has left Saul, then he has opened himself up to the other spirit to torment him. Now, please don't think that there wasn't demonic activity going on throughout the Old Testament because it was. But it's like picking a hornet's nest. You know, if, there's a, if you've ever had a, a, a bees, beehive or a hornet's nest somewhere in your, on your property... Um, if you leave it alone, they'll pretty much leave you alone. But the moment you start trying to do something about it, they will start trying to do something about you. And you have to realize when Jesus came on the scene, it was like a totally new chapter in history. Jesus came to this earth for purpose and, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air knew exactly what the plan was, and it was like he just was picking. And so now you have demonic activity, like vivid demonic activity uh, all around him because it's all around us. One of the most vivid examples in, is in Luke chapter 8. They sailed across the region to the Gerasenes, which is across from the, uh, the lake um, which is across the Lake of Galilee, Jesus stepped ashore and he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. <clears throat> For a long time, this man had not worn clothes, had not lived in a house. He lived in tombs. Now, uh, in, in Jewish law, Jewish tradition, you could not touch a dead body. That makes this very, very vivid. He lived with dead bodies. He was very unclean. When Jesus, when he saw Jesus, he cried out. He fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? See, he knew what was going on. I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man many times. It seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he broke his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. 
Now, I preached on this message back, uh, the parallel passage in, in, in Luke. Um, this stuff's still happening today. And in the, in, in the context of truth and love here, let me just tell you, here's what happens today. They medicate it. And they call it they give it a medical term. They just leave it there. It doesn't mean that this kind of thing isn't happening today. It's happening all around us today. What is your name, Jesus asked. Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. A third of the angels fell, it is, in, in, it is understood, with Satan. A third of the angels fell with him. And you see, they know the end of the story. And it comes out right here. They said, they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to the abyss. That's where all they're headed. They're headed there. Interestingly, uh, the references died down again in Acts. Uh, that doesn't mean the activity stopped, but, but uh, look at Acts chapter 16. This this is actually the, the chapter where Timothy joins Paul in ministry. So Timothy would have been on the scene here. There was a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God. They're telling you the way to be saved. See, she can't even control herself. And Paul, so aggravated at some point, he's like, get out in the name of Jesus. And it left her. And then they got thrown in prison. And then that leads to the story of the earthquake and their, hand, their, uh, uh, their chains falling off and the door swinging open and just because they're praising God. So um, why am I taking my, my time with this? Well, it's not to scare you. We need not be afraid. But it's to enlighten you of what is going on all around us and to prepare you as Paul is trying to prepare Timothy to fight the battle. And so, first of all, I want you to realize that you are in a battle. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are in a battle. It's a spiritual battle. You could use the word war because it is a spiritual war that is waging all around us. It's not just your boss. It's not just your coworker. It's not just your neighbor. It's not just your spouse. It's not just your kids. It is a spiritual battle that's waging all around us. Ephesians chapter 6 says it is, it is, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It is against the rulers, authorities, and powers of this dark world and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The NLT puts it this way. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world and against mighty powers in this dark world, which are demonically, spiritually infused. 
and evil spirits in the heavenly places. Now, you have a historical and spiritual or biblical context for this verse. And it isn't a choice. Once you make a decision to follow Christ, you have joined the other side. One of my favorite far sides is, is this picture of these two deer. <clears throat> You've been born again with a birthmark in the middle of your chest. It kind of looks like a target. Bummer of a birthmark, Hal. I love the, the names that he, Gary Larson gives his characters in the... Uh, any Hal's in the room here? I don't think that's in the top 100 list anymore for babies born. Neither is Steve, by the way. <laughs> that's you. You're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Bummer of a birthmark. Hal. The war is waging and you have to fight. If you don't, you are at risk of being taken out. Paul commands Timothy to fight. Look at it. I'm giving you this command to fight the battle well. Now, remember the foundational verse uh, in this book found in chapter 3 when Paul says, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. Now, this, you're not to fight each other. We're not here in the fight to fight each other. No, we are fighting together. There's something about unity, divine unity. In the Psalms, it talks about unity. And when we have unity together, how blessed we are. And we are blessed with supernatural unity when we work together in unity. That's scriptural. So this is not just a charge to Timothy, it's a charge to us being in God's household. And if you're a member of this church, it's a charge to you as a member of Mill City Church to be on guard and to fight the battle, be ready for the battle. And you don't need to be afraid. Why? The better question is how. The better question is how. He gives us two critical components. The first is God's word. Look at it. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith. Did you realize that God's word is prophetic? And I don't just mean the Old Testament prophecy books. I mean, what God's word says about you as a believer is New Testament prophecy to you from God. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, for though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take every thought captive in order to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. You see how those are present tense words? We will, we have 
Do you use them? Because you have been given the weapons. You have the weapons. And those weapons do have divine power. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's prophetic about you. Are you using them? You have been recreated. You are a new creation in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. You have been crucified with Christ. Galatians 2, 19. You are no longer living. It is Christ living in you. You are called to be free. Galatians 5, 13. You have been set free from sin and become a slave to righteousness. Romans chapter 16, 6 and verse 18. That is New Testament prophecy and it's true. The question is, are you living that prophetic truth? You can. But you might say, well, yeah, but Steve, I don't really feel free. I still feel chained. I don't really feel like Christ is living in me. Well, just because you don't feel like it doesn't mean it's not true. Just because I don't feel like it doesn't make it wrong. The Bible says it. If the Bible says it, you can believe it. That should settle it. Question is, do you know what the Bible says? why we teach the Bible verse by verse here is because we need to know what the Bible says. It really doesn't matter what the media says. It really doesn't matter what society says. It really doesn't matter what the world thinks because the world is not under God's authority. The world is ruled by the devil. Aren't you glad you came to church today? But God's word is true. God's word is true. And this world will come to an end and there will be a new heaven and a new earth and it will be perfect forever. Look again at 1 Peter chapter 5. Be alert. Be of sober mind. Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, the Bible says he's prowling around. We know that from Job chapter 1. We know that from 1 Peter chapter 5. But it doesn't say he is a roaring lion. It says he's like a roaring lion. He's just prowling around looking for somebody to intimidate. He's got a loud voice. He's got angry eyebrows. He has big teeth. What big teeth you have. The better to eat you with. He's looking for someone to devour. He can't devour everybody. He's not all powerful. He's not all knowing. 
He knows the end of the story, and he wants to bring as many people with him as he can. And so he's looking for someone to devour. The Bible says right here that you can resist him. So do it. How do you do it? Stand firm in the faith. Stand firm. And know you're not alone. You have a family of believers that's going through the same thing. It's not, it's not you by yourself. You have a family of people all around you. And the God of all grace who called you, who chose you, who died for you, who revealed himself to you so that you could be free eternally after you've suffered for a little while, after you've gone through this, even if you fall into temptation, he's right there to forgive you with an abundance of grace, to renew you, and as you go through it time and time again, you'll get stronger and stronger and stronger as you stand firm and steadfast. That's a good word. Somebody needs to hear that today. Here's some more truth, Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in yourself. No, you don't be strong in yourself. You don't have the strength. You be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. That's where it's going to come from. He gives it to you. You be strong in the Lord and his mighty power and put on the full armor of God. Every single one of us, again, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been issued this equipment. Baseball season's coming to a close. Praise God. The players in the outfield, in the field, they don't have the same equipment as the batter, do they? But the batter's coming up, and you can see these guys. Some of them have a you know, face mask even. They got this helmet that covers their ear. Some of them have the, you know, covers their ankle. And Why? Because they got this speedballs coming at them that could kill them. So think about that. Because it says, our struggle's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's that demoniac that came screaming out at him, telling him who he was, and asking him not to send him to the abyss yet. Therefore, put on the full armor. Put the full equipment on. You've been issued it. Because at some point, you're coming up to the plate. When the day of evil comes, it doesn't say if he's coming at you. It doesn't say when the fastball's coming. It doesn't say when you get a, no, it says, it doesn't say if, it says when the day comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, you stand. None of this equipment covers your back. You're not designed to run from it. You're designed to stand firm then with the belt of truth. What is true about you? You are a child of God. You are righteous in his sight. You have been issued all of this equipment. You have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer you living. It is him living in you. You are free from sin. You are a slave. That's the truth, man. You better gird yourself up with that. Don't let those pants fall down. 
the breastplate of righteousness. You need to guard your heart. Be careful what you let in. Be careful who you let in. Be careful what you feed on. Be careful of what you marinate on. I'm, I'm in the investment business. I was having a conversation with a client this past Wednesday, and he, come, he came in, man, I'm like, yeah, but you don't know about the, oh, but hey, this crisis, and the more this, this, but this time it's different, blah, blah, blah. I said, dude, cut Fox News off, would you please? Cut on the Food Network. At least they haven't gone political yet, as far as I know. But see, everywhere you go, it's all entertainment. So whatever you want to hear, that's the TV station you're going to be watching because they're going to feed your perspective. You can't do anything about it anyway. They're not calling me. They're not calling you. You got this sphere of influence all around you. How many guys have, how many guys have invited somebody to the rally? Better you spend some time inviting somebody to the rally so that they can hear the word of God and, and, and perhaps have eternal life walking out the door. That's your mission. You can't do anything about Washington. You can't do anything about Madison. You can't do anything about Nina, Wisconsin. For the most, I mean, I got one vote. That's pretty much it. And if you're soaking in on things that you can't change, I'm telling you right now, you are wasting time and eternity that will be revealed to you. Your feet fitted with the readiness. These are not track shoes. These are cleats. They are designed to help you stand firm. The shield of faith to help you when those attacks come, and they're coming, man. Put the helmet of salvation. Guard your mind and the sword of the Spirit, there's your weapon. It's the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Be alert and always keep praying for all of us. That's why we have prayer meeting on Wednesday night. That's why we are coming together to pray for, for you, to pray for uh, your friends and family, to pray for your needs. And this is cool. Paul says, pray for me too. Because I'm like the roof. When the storm comes, it hits me first. Year after year, we hear about ministers who fall prey. Just this week, there's a well-known minister who had to take a leave of absence. But don't just pray for my protection. Pray that I may declare God's word fearlessly, as I should, he says. You don't want me up here candy coating stuff. Tell me the truth and let me deal with it. That's the way I deal, you know, just give it to me straight. And Paul says, hold on to the faith. We're hanging on for dear life. Seven years ago today, we had our first practice service, our, own, our only practice service. I was talking to Aaron this morning. He said, I remember what you said that day. I'm like, really? What did I say? He said, you said, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> Still feel that way sometimes. I'm holding on for dear life. There's a second component that will help us in the battle and the worship team can come. Obedience. Fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Right and wrong. 
the law isn't just there to help us see the need for a savior. The law is there to help us to know right from wrong. There's a right way to do things and there's a wrong way to do things. All of those spiritual truths will help us in our obedience, but, but continued obedience is critical to protecting us. I mean, you, you may be saved, you know, but, but Peter says we need to grow up in our salvation now that we've tasted the Lord is good. Okay, so you, um, in, in Hebrews, he says, we need to move beyond the elementary teachings of the gospel. I mean, at some point, you don't need to know that Jesus died for your sin. At some point, you, you don't need to know you, you need to be baptized and you need to read your Bible and, and talk to the Lord every day. Some, some point, you need to grow up in your salvation. You need to move beyond the basics. Can you imagine if the Packers were like the Bears and all they ever did was learn how to do blocking and tackling? They never learned how to score touchdowns. And we're regressive by nature. Listen, I, I'm, I tell you, I get to the end of these things on Saturdays and I was like, man, that's a good word. Praise God for that. I feel like, you know, God spoke to me give me this little passage in, in his word and now he says explain it this is my word now explain it how are people going to deal what, what do they do with that well here's some context here's what we're dealing with that could be pretty scary stuff can you imagine having a demoniac run out from the cemetery as you're trying to put flowers on your dad's grave? Ah! That scared me to death. Praise God I've never had that happen. I tell you what, if something like that happened, oh, I don't know who the first person I'd call, but there'd be a lot of people I'd be calling. Holy moly. Don't go back there. They're freaks. Um, this past week I had a, an episode I shared, or last week, um, two weeks ago, whatever, at work. <clears throat> and it was, it was something that had been weighing heavily on me on, uh, for, for several weeks. It was, it was, you know, you guys ever been in a situation where there's, there's confrontation, conflict brewing, and you know where it's come, you know where it's headed right? You know it's going to clash at some point. Sooner than later, better you get it done right away, but you don't want to do it, and so you let it fester, you let it wait until it can't wait any longer. And then you've got and the anticipation of that, and you're like, oh, I don't want to do this, and I don't want to say that. This is what needs to be said. I don't want to say that. It's, you, know, and you know it's going to be, it's like throwing up. I need, I need to throw up. I'll feel so much better, but by golly, I'm going to fight it until I can't do it anymore, right? It's kind of what it's like. And we were down in Missouri, and I went forward for prayer for it, and I just said, oh, I've got this conflict, I need the Lord's help. And not knowing that the very next day, it was going to come to a head, and a meeting was going to be scheduled on Friday. Well, Thursday, it just so happened that we were in the same place at the same time, and so I'm like, hey, we should, you know, let's not put this off another day, let's do it later today. 
So I had two people that I had called. And um, first one was a um, was my manager, and um, and and she is a believer, and I, I'm I'm a verbal processor, so better out than in, as Shrek says. That's kind of my belief. I just get it out there because sometimes you say something and it's like, oh, that didn't sound very good. I don't, that's not right. But until I hear it, I'm like, yeah, that sounds really good in my head. Not so much on the outside. Um, but I also need somebody that I can blow a circuit at that isn't going to vilify me for it. You know what I'm saying? You need that too. You need somebody that you can blow a circuit at <laughs> that isn't going to vilify you for it. Now, they're not going to condemn you is what I mean by that. But nor, you also need that same, those same people to not condone something that's wrong. And one of the things I had said was, you know, this person, they're not, well, I'm not equally yoked with them. That we don't believe the same things. And so here, I can beat you over the head with the Bible. Because that's my job. But you can't do that with a, somebody that isn't on the same page. You know what I'm saying? So you can't chapter and verse it as easy. And um, then I got a, a, a message from somebody else here in the church, and, and they were going through something and wanted to talk to me about it. And I'm like, well, super, well, I can talk to you about this. And we talked through it, and I had said that. And, and he said, well, you know, did Jesus just deal with people that didn't believe in him? No. And it happened to be Thursday, and I had just preached the message the night before. And, I'm, and he wasn't there, and I'm like, well, here are my points. He's like, huh, that sounds pretty good. Can you apply that today? Ah. <laughs> Discipleship is critical. Hillary Clinton would say, it takes a village. I love the word tribe. Paul Hartman uses the word tribe. Who's in your tribe? Guys, who's in your tribe? And it can't be your dad. And it can't be your spouse. You need to take the defaults that are going to always take your side out of the picture. They're great and that's awesome. Praise God for them. You need those people. I'm talking about somebody that's going to say, you know, that's not right. Chapter and verse. And here's why. Here's what the Lord says. Here's what the Bible says about that situation. And they're not going to say, you're a sinner and, you know, no, they're going to say, you know what? That's wrong. That's off. Here's why. Now, what are we going to do about it? Together. Every single one of us needs a six-pack. You need three, four, five, six people. Uh, Lee has a has a a list that he calls, and and it's not he doesn't leave a message. If he's in a moment, he just goes down the list until somebody answers the phone. I think Bruce, you got the same thing. Man, that's just critical. That's the tribe. And, and ladies, you need to have a tribe of women that will hold you accountable and and and. It's not what she says, it's what does the Bible say. Guys, you need a tribe 
helping you. Helping you stay accountable, helping you stay obedient, helping you stay grounded. The battle's waging regardless of your desire. We were in Nashville uh, for vacation this summer, and um, at the end, uh, the pastor was talking about the, the class. I don't remember if it was a new believers class or, or it was a new members class, something like that. But he said this. I wrote it down. It was brilliant. Listen to this. One of the greatest lies of our enemy is that you can do this new life with just you and Jesus. Let me read that again. One of the greatest lies of our enemy is that you can do this new life with just you and Jesus. You see, he's created a community around you and we're here to stand with you. You need not be afraid. Praise God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, your blessings on our life. Thank you, God, that you, um, you give us insight, you give us instruction, and then you surround us with a new family that can walk with us and stand with us. You give us the equipment to be who you've called us to be, to do what you've called us to do. And you put us in ministry. You put us in your service. Now, Father, we just pray right now. I pray in the name of Jesus that uh, there be freedom today, that we would not walk out of here um, full of fear, but we would walk out of here full of confidence because of what your word says about us and because of who you've placed around us. Thank you. I praise you. In Jesus' name.